0: Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAdvice.net and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice. In this episode, Trevor and I go on an adventure with ants while morphing into dragons and tossing bacon on everything in sight. How you doing tonight, Trevor?
1: Doing good. It's always fun when you can have ants, bacon, and dragons somehow mixed together.
0: Yeah, as long as those ants aren't stealing your bacon, it's good.
1: Yep. And so, before we get to that fun-filled portion of the program, we do want to start with some Apple news, or maybe it's more Apple projections, in that we've reached the month of October, and Apple, we think, is going to have an event in October to announce brand new iPads, as well as updates to various Macs, and it's kind of just pure speculation at this point, like, we think that new iPads are coming, but Apple doesn't necessarily need a new event for it. They could just release a press release like they did back in July for their updated Mac Pro, MacBook Pros, but this iPad is a relatively big deal. They're gonna go with the iPhone 10 style edge-to-edge screen, they're gonna add face ID, remove the home button, you know, just all of that kind of design style that they've been emphasizing lately. So that seems like it warrants an event, but the timing of it is weird just because there's a lot of different factors in October, starting with the fact that we're already to the third, so or we're already to the fourth now, <laughs> and the, there's no invite, so it's not going to be next week. And then even next week, Google's hosting an event on October 9th, so it's unlikely Apple would have an event that week. So then you bump it out to the 16th or 17th, and that kind of makes sense. But then you think of the iPhone 10R. And it's going to launch on the 19th. So does Apple want to have a reminder for the 10R, Or do they kind of not want to distract with it with the iPads? We're not exactly sure. But then if you go out the following week, it turns out that Tim Cook is going to be going on a trip on the 26th. So that doesn't help either. And so it really seems like if Tim Cook is going to leave to Brussels, I don't think it's going to be that 20th week. And then I can't imagine Apple's going to wait all the way till we almost reach Halloween. Though that kind of makes sense because Apple's quarterly earnings report is going to be on November 1st. So essentially two days before that, they could have all these new iPads and new Macs to start the final holiday quarter. But regardless how you look at it, I got to imagine it's going to be someday in October.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, they, I believe they did it in late October another year, so it's possible. I mean, they also have the the Series 4 Nike edition of the watch that's coming out any day now, so that could be another thing that it could remind people to purchase. And so, I, I don't know. I, I've seen the the leaked or guessed images, I guess, of this new iPad, and it looks super nice. Uh, whether or not I'm going to actually upgrade, probably not but because I just bought the watch and a new phone from my wife, so hey, I don't foresee myself doing it, but it seems like you never know with Apple these days if they are just going to dump it in a, in a press release or if they're going to give it the attention it deserves if they really want people to be going out and buying this thing for the holiday season. So... At this point, it's kind of a guessing game, but like you laid out with the the calendar, it's going to be tough for them to fit it in unless they do it really in that last week of October.
1: And really, that has to be it, because if you look at years past, since 2010, Apple's hosted an event in October five of those seven years, but two of those years that they didn't were 2017 and 2015. So if you just go look over the past three years, two out of the three of the past years, they haven't hosted an event in October. So maybe they don't host an event this year, but this seems like a big deal whenever they redesign something. Like if it was a minor spec bump, like here's the new chip for it, I understand being a press release, but to redesign the iPad to fit it in with the rest of what you've been doing, I got to imagine that deserves its own event. And really... Personally, I think it fits with the iPhone 10R to remind people 10R's coming on October 19th. We're having an event here on the 16th or 17th. And then here's the air power that we kind of silently almost <laughs> got rid of. Here's AirPods 2. Here's our update to the Mac Mini and the iMac, and just it probably fills hour and hour and a half. If they kind of skip the XR and wait till the following week or following two weeks, the iPad is pretty much just going to have to carry the whole show. And it's just a design change. You know, it's not a functionality change. Like, during the education event, or even when they first launched the Apple Pencil or the first iPad Pro with the keyboard attachment, it had, like, Apple's positioning it in a new market, a new way to look at the iPad. This is just saying, look how cool the iPad looks now.
0: Right, right. There's going to there's As far as the indications we've heard so far, there's nothing groundbreaking. It's just basically going to be a... Have all this Face ID functionality, no home button, all the stuff that people have grown to love on the 10 series, but on this bigger screen now, and it has this more industrial look, almost like the five with the metal, the kind of boxyish metal sides, if the pictures are believed. But yeah, it's going to be tough to have a whole event around something just kind of a look change and not a. Inherent functionality change like they built that last year of uh, educational event around where they even did it in the school and had all of this education related content deals for schools and everything stuff that was related to the location and the timing of the event whether they're gonna to continue to do the iPad events in that May timeframe when they did, I believe it was May, it was actually March or May, I don't remember, uh, when they did that education event. I don't know if they're gonna push things out, but then they're not gonna get the, the holiday sales for, for these new iPads. So I, I don't know, it seems to make much more sense where they can remind people about these other devices that were delayed from the initial launch of all of the new phones, just a few weeks ago to kind of get that excitement back up and remind you if you were waiting, Hey, you need to get out there and get it. And I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm kind of hoping something that we haven't seen about this new iPad creeps up, but I suspect we've seen everything that's coming with it.
1: Right. It seems like what would change it is a new version of iOS. And it is rumored that iOS 12, or it's not rumored, Apple released the beta, the second beta of iOS 12.1, so it's coming, but it seems like the major emphasis is going to be the inclusion of 70 new emojis, as well as the 32 person FaceTime that they didn't include when iOS 12 launched. So that's not changing the usability of the iPad. If you can start including, like, a cupcake or a mooncake <laughs> or a llama or a peacock, I don't think that's changing iPad usability.
0: You forgot bagel. I mean, that's a, that's a game changer. Now, I mean, the other thing that iOS 12.1 is going to be bringing is I guess there's been recent talk about some people that got the XS and the XS Max that have charging issues. My wife's XS doesn't have it, and I don't think you have that issue, right? You haven't right. seen anything like that? I,
1: I've read about the two issues of the charging and then LTE connectivity, and 12.1 is supposed to fix that. So it's likely. Apple's trying to get this out as soon as possible if anyone is experiencing those problems.
0: Right, and I don't know, maybe they're going to tie this this iOS 12.1 launch to this event as well. Like, maybe this is, they can announce this because it's a, a big deal that they're fixing this issue that some people are having. There's also a, a beta of Apple Watch 5.1, which is when that ECG functionality is coming out. The one where you held the little crown for 30 seconds and it took the ECG, and then you could port that out to your doctor via PDF so and that, uh, so maybe that's another thing they can announce at this event. I don't know what the the date of the the software is. That's always kind of a hard one to pin down because it all depends on how those beta tests go. And so it could be quick, it could be delayed. Who knows?
1: Yep. And really, if twelve point one doesn't change the iPad software, you're looking at a device that just fits in with Apple's overall scheme of what they're doing right now. It seems like their product meetings, whether it's Tim Cook, Johnny Ive, or somebody else, they're pitching more screen, no matter what it is. You know, we got the iPhone X last year. What did they do? They gave us more screen. The big update to the Apple Watch this year is more screen. So, of course, the big update to the iPad this year is more screen. I don't know if that makes them sell more, because really it comes down to Apple's an iPhone maker, and the iPhone accounts for 66% of Apple's earnings. And when the iPad first launched, you know, people are positioning it, oh, it's going to account for like 25%. And if that's the case, then an entire event makes sense. But now the iPad is around 7 or 8% of Apple's earnings. So does a less than 10% portion of your entire business model warrant its own event when all you did was essentially give us more screen?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's weird. I mean, even the MacBook, they couldn't enlarge the screen, but they gave you the little touch bar to give you more screen. Right. So, yeah, it just seems to be this trend, like, they want more screen, give them more screen. And, they're, but they're not giving us more functionality. Like, this, they kept on touting that the, well, originally they said the iPad wasn't a a computer replacement. Then, recent branding, they made it, oh, wait, this is the, the computer replacement you can take with you and use all the time. But it really isn't. It's, it's not quite a computer and more of a gaming and video watching machine and surfing the internet, which I guess technically some people, that's all they do in their computer. But if you've ever tried to type up any kind of a long document on that little touchscreen keyboard, there's no way. I mean, you need an external keyboard. It's then it kind of defeats the purpose of the portability. So, it's not a computer replacement. So unless they come up with more functionality that really does something crazy and different, it's always kind of going to be a consume media device. It's not going to be a computer replacement you carry around, yet the price tag is getting closer and closer to a computer that you would need for everything. So are people going to be buying both a computer and an iPad, or are they going to stick with the iPad they have that plays the media they want to watch and the games they want to play, and then upgrade the PC, which is what they go to, or Mac, whatever your laptop of choice is, upgrade that, because that's the one you need to get real work done on.
1: Exactly. I mean, that's really kind of the conundrum that the iPad is in right now because I remember when they were first talking about it, they compared a computer to the truck. When you're driving a truck, you have a very specific use case. You're going to tow something. You're going to put something in the back. Not everyone needs a truck. You're not always doing or even ever doing that kind of stuff, so a sedan works perfectly fine. And the iPad was supposed to be that kind of sedan and computers for the heavy lifting. But it turns out that the iPad is more like an electric car that has like a hundred mile range where it's great for if you're commuting around town but if you ever need to go on a road trip or do an extended all-day trip that car is not going to last it's just too specific of a use case it's a niche use case and that's where the ipad fits in for me i love my ipad to play games on and then watch videos streaming shows and maybe browse the internet there's no way that changing the screen necessarily means I need to upgrade my iPad, or even, I don't even know if it makes it even more enjoyable to use, because I have the big 12.9 inch iPad. I understand if the Pro expands out the screen, you have less edge, but it's not really more screen. So, I I don't even know if there's a reason for me to upgrade for the use cases that I'm going to use.
0: Right, yeah, I love that analogy with the the electric car, but, and at least if it were like an electric car, you'd have all day battery life, which (laughs) everyone seems to love. So, uh, you got that going for you, but yeah, I, and especially where even on my 10, it's kind of annoying to watch full screen video because you do have the notch that covers one little side of the video. So usually you end up kind of shrinking a little bit so it doesn't end up filling the screen or maybe you're watching something you don't care if you kind of have that edge cut off. So at that point, if this is your media, your sole media consumption device, then it's not going to be the unless they found a way to hide the notch on this new iPad, it's going to be kind of obtrusive in cutting into that video content that you're trying to watch. So it's once you do that shrinking to have it avoid the notch, then how much are you really gaining? So it's kind of defeats the purpose of really pushing this thing, especially I can only imagine the price of it if the 10, which is that not that big of a screen and then you have this 10 inch or or so ipad that is for all that entire thing a screen how insanely expensive is this new ipad going to be
1: it seems like their whole screen strategy is a way to increase the price because you know the iphone it used to be about 699 to 799 for an unlocked phone and now it starts at $999 for the iPhone 10s, and then the Max bumps up that. And then with the Apple Watch, it was 329 That was the starting price. Now, all of a sudden, it's $399 for this new edition of the watch. So that's a great way to Apple make more money. And then the MacBooks, they used to be 1299 That was kind of the entry level. And they still have a 1299 MacBook without the touch bar, but they didn't update it. They didn't, in July, it didn't get the processor enhancement. So really, the entry level... For the 2018 model, starts at 1799. So that's eighteen hundred dollars. So that seems like the iPad Pro right now it starts at 650. If the iPhone 10 at a 5.8 inch screen it costs a thousand. How much is the iPad going to cost? <laughs> it has to <laughs> yeah, be at least a thousand. Like I understand it doesn't have as many small internals related to cellular connectivity, but it's still a whole bunch of screen. And this just seems like a way for Apple to charge more, which then goes back to our discussion of It's a tough upgrade, a tough sell at the current price. I can't imagine upgrading it a grand.
0: Yeah, and you know it's going to be over a grand. There's no way they're going to sell that thing for a grand. And now you're at computer prices. And you're back to the, do I need both? Is this really going to be a sole computer for me? Or am I going to need an alternate thing for most other stuff? Do you buy this thing and then buy a cheap Chromebook for the other stuff you need to do? I don't know. I I don't have the answer, but I know that I'm not going to spend another $1,200 to replace my iPad, which for the most part is working quite well. It does have some hiccups here and there, but I think if I fully wiped it and reinstalled everything, I think I'd be okay.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of the, it all fits together. You know, it's this whole little puzzle piece. It all fits together. Price is tough to keep at the same price if you're making a more screen device. But then on the flip side, we just said that it's not a really a computer replacement. So you're charging a computer price. I mean, if you bought a MacBook Pro entry-level 13-inch, the iPhone 10s entry-level, you know, baseline 64 gigabytes, this $1,000 iPad at the smallest storage size, and the entry-level smallest watch size, that's $4,200 for four devices. And really, you could probably get away with two of them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of money to be dropping. I think you should get a job at Apple so you get the discount at least. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's that's insane.
1: And so that's pretty much the Apple news. iOS 12.1 is probably coming sooner rather than later. And hopefully this October event does come so then we can talk about the crazy price in actual specific factual terms.
0: Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> and so
1: while we're waiting for that... There are apps available to use and play, and this week we're starting with Email Edison Mail, which has been around for a while. But if you've ever used a mail app on your iPhone or iPad, you know that you could always use a new one, try out something different, and that's essentially what I've done. I was using Mailbox a whole ton, and then they discontinued the service. So then I picked up Airmail, which did a lot of the same things, and I've been using that, but it's kind of had slowdowns. So the search doesn't seem to find mail messages at all. So I tried Edison, and it is pretty outstanding in terms of speed and functionality. I mean, it's ultra quick to refresh your messages and get everything in that all-in-one inbox. And then it has these just really convenient features where you have the swipe gestures. You've probably used them before. Swipe left and right to archive or delete. But then it has that unsubscribe with one tap right into newsletter based messages and then you have those smart reply options where it gives you little built-in text to quickly press and respond to a message and then you can also view packages and tracking right within the app there's a thread view that's reminiscent of Tweetbot for Twitter and then there's a built-in atta- uh, assistant which sorts your mails automatically whether they have attachments or their bills and receipts or their tickets for upcoming events, so you don't even have to sort into folders, the app will do it for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, all of those special little assistant stuff is super cool. Some of that stuff kind of exists in other apps. Like A lot of the stuff we've seen in other, other mail apps, and like you, I've tried a whole bunch of these. AirMail was... By far my favorite, except for the fact that it was dirt slow once you really started using it, and then occasionally it would just completely miss downloading emails. So. I would go to the built-in, the stock mail app. I'd see all of my normal messages and stuff. And then I'd pop over to Airmail, and stuff would just be missing, completely missing. Not like it sorted some wrong way. It just wasn't even on there whatsoever. So obviously I had to stop using it because I couldn't take a risk that I was gonna miss an important email. And so I just stopped using it and I missed it because I loved just like the whole interface felt more modern and nicer than the stock. Even with the latest updates that, that Apple's been doing, it still felt kind of, the, the Apple mail app feels kind of stale and old and these feel modern, snappy. That was my first impression of this Edison mail. It was so fast and quick, especially comparing it directly to Airmail things just loaded up so fast, the searches were good, stuff got categorized into those cool little assistant sections really fast. The one thing they do tote on their app description are the smart notifications, where it says no more mail notification overload, you can mute senders of your choice for fewer notifications. Well, the problem is as soon as you turn on notifications, it turns on notifications for everything. So you're gonna start getting notifications for every single piece of email that comes in. I have three accounts in here. That's a lot of notifications. That's not smart notifications. So then I tried switching it to their thing that said important notifications, but I still was getting everything. So I don't know how they classify mails as important or not, but it didn't seem to be doing what it was supposed to be doing. So eventually I just turned off all notifications, which, didn't really want to do but I, I I, did that just because it was just way too many notifications because I think that that assistant will notify you like if your gate changes on a like say you get a JetBlue email that has a gate change that would immediately kind of pop up and notify you saying hey you should know you got a gate change granted my JetBlue app does that for me too but it's nice if you would happen to not have an app for a certain one of these types of things that it will notify you for all of these various things and it's kind of keeping an eye out for you for certain things.
1: Yeah, the notifications, I experienced the same problem because, you know, you get so many mail messages that you don't want to be notified. Pretty much notifications are replies that you were kind of waiting for for your messages. And so getting all kinds of notifications or even flipping on the important switch, it seemed like a bunch were going in. And it's worth noting that at least in my testing important is only an option on my gmail account it's not even an option on my icloud account so i don't know what it takes on the back end what they're trying to identify as important but whatever it is right now it's not working and i think that goes in with uh, also what you mentioned about airmail classifies your messages you kind of color coded so you have one account it's green another accounts yellow another accounts blue so you know when you have that unified inbox and as of right now edison mail doesn't include that
0: yeah that was the one thing that i really miss from airmail is to be able to color classify those three accounts and then instantly while i'm just scrolling through that all inboxes view i would see like a little colored bar to the left side it was unobtrusive it was just over the side but then i could quickly tell which account it came in on And so then I would know maybe this is an important one where I'm expecting work emails that I should go to the blue ones and just double check the blue ones. I did contact the developers of Edison Mail and they said this is one of their most requested features and they are working on it. They're just trying to figure out the best way to implement it and then they're gonna go ahead and do it. But it is definitely something they're aware of and wanna bring to the app. And because people want this feature, which I thought that was really nice that they are actually working on it.
1: That's definitely good to know. And really, my kind of main objective for a mail app is to have those quick swipe gestures to really clean your inbox. And it seems like Edison's fine-tuned what Mailbox did and AirMail did to just... It doesn't seem like you have to be as deliberate with your swipes. You're barely kind of moving your thumb across these messages and they're disappearing off the screen. Just archive, archive, archive. And it really helps it because then you have the option for the longer swipes in either direction to snooze messages or directly trash them. And just to have it super easy, it just makes you actually not feel like you're doing a chore going through your email inbox every morning.
0: Yeah, this is how I can actually somewhat keep my uh, inbox clean. The nice thing also with Edison is those like excuse me the long and short swipes going left or right you can fully customize which of the actions you want assigned to which of those directions or lengths so I for for my own I went away from the the defaults and so I just swipe to the left just slightly to trash my emails I don't use the whole archive system I want it just gone because otherwise it's taking up space and so I just swipe quickly to the left, and like you said, it's super responsive. You don't even have to, like, deliberately swipe that much, and it's quick and super easy to just quickly clear out these emails and get rid of the ones you don't care about. And that back to that unsubscribe thing you mentioned, I mean, that thing is awesome for just quickly, if you start to see you have piles and piles of some companies sending you so many emails, to have that quick button to unsubscribe and get yourself off their list is great and then just be able to snooze or uh, I use flagging to flag my emails if I want to come back to something later and just have those assigned to my swiping right gestures. It's just so simple to quickly one-handed go through your emails and get everything clear or at least close down to zero in like minutes and you're good to go and then you have none of that clutter that just gets everything bogged up.
1: Yeah, Edison has features that you've seen before, but just the package to include them all together in this streamlined form, it's definitely worth a try. It's completely free to download. It's available on iPhone and iPad. It's called Email Edison Mail. And if you have any problem whatsoever with your current mail app, it's definitely worth checking out.
0: Yeah, and you can get it on both your iPad and iPhone. So if you're one of those, uh, every experience needs to be the same then go ahead and download on both devices and give it a go.
1: Yep. And so that means it's time for some new games. And the first one this week is Dragalia Lost. It comes from Nintendo. And I'm admittedly not familiar with this series. You know, I understand Metroid or Zelda or Mario or even the Fire Emblem series, but Dragalia I, I don't know. So I went into the series blind and the main idea of the game, it's a familiar kind of JRPG setup and you have the main character who can turn or transform into a dragon to help, you know, battle bosses and various kinds of enemies. There's a whole ornate storyline included with deluxe voice work and that's a great kind of package delivered for production values. The actual game though, you drag your finger to move your character and then you tap the screen to attack. That is pretty much All that you're able to do. There are a couple special attack action buttons in the lower left corner. One of those buttons is to transform into a dragon. But really the entirety of the game is move around, tap to attack. You can't build up combos or pull off special maneuvers with any kind of more ornate motions. And I guess that's by design. Just the idea Nintendo thinks that if a game's on mobile it has to be super simplified. No complexities whatsoever. And this is the result.
0: Yeah, I uh, personally I don't tend to play these JRPG games, and it seems like the App Store just has a ton of these in the free to play area. And I this one actually I didn't even notice on the App Store until then I saw it was a Nintendo, and then I figured I'd download it and and give it a go. The production values are, are fantastic in it as far as like the voice acting, the story is interesting, but like you said they seem to really simplify the gameplay and i think it's just to create no barriers to entry and allow people any of any age to come in and start playing this thing and want to keep playing it maybe the story drives them to keep playing it maybe they enjoy the the gameplay but to me that whole single tapping just seemed kind of boring. Like, you do move around and kind of pseudo-explore, but, I mean, there's one path, really, you can take. But then you're just single-tapping to attack the enemies. You do have that whole dragon thing. There are a couple other buttons that uh, the you end up getting eventually that allow you to pull off special moves but it's none not like a series a combination of things like combo crew or anything we have to do a series of swipes and gestures and things to pull off certain moves it's always just that kind of single tap a button and you're just going to do whatever your character happens to do and to me, there's there's not enough depth there to really interest me. I understand that people look at this, oh, well, it's a mobile game. I just want to be able to play quickly wherever and wherever I am. But it still has to be interesting. And they try to do that with the story, but if the actual combat is not that interesting, then I tend to lose interest pretty quickly in these types of things.
1: And then as simplified as the gameplay is, the menu system is the most complex I've ever come across in a mobile game where you have to essentially jump through hurdles and hoops just to make it from the level one level to the next. It's mind-boggling what they decided to do. I mean, the opening screen, there's like 10 button array where you can't really tap on any of them except for quests, And then quests is the main heart of the game and it's this little tiny one, the fourth tab over. I don't know why it's so small. And then you get to it and you want to just play the next level. And it's like, would you like to do a download of 2.82 megabytes? I'm like, sure, of course I would. I want to play the next level. If I don't do the download, I can't play the next level. And every single time you're going through the game, it has to ask you to confirm... These additional downloads, but the game itself is already over two gigabytes. I don't understand how then they're going to nickel and dime you over these couple megabytes here and there. There was even one where it was only 0.05 megabytes to download, but you still have to tap this button just to continue. You know, when you're playing a game, the key part of any game that you want to do is go from one level to the next. That's it. You don't want to worry about in-app purchases or currency or 10 menu buttons or downloads. You just want to play the next level it's just amazing that you actually do more button tapping and complex tasks in the menu system
0: than the actual game. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know what it's downloading for the 2.6 gigs that it takes up on your device, but I understand where they have to confirm just because people might be using cellular and they don't want people to burn through their cellular and then get upset with Nintendo. But they... There's got to be a way where they can query the device and see if you're on Wi-Fi and just go ahead and download it. I, I don't know. Maybe some people pay for megabytes on Wi-Fi, but it it just doesn't make sense that it takes the keeps on stopping the action just to confirm these tiny little downloads. When you downloaded this massive game, like how can it not do this kind of in the background or at least give you in that 2.6 gigs like the first hundred levels or 50 levels, if they're really that small, like just include that content in initial download. You've already had to download this massive file. What's the difference if you add like another 200 megs to it or something? I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. And I, I completely agree with you on the whole menu system. Although then again, I tend to see this kind of as a pattern on a lot of these really free-to-play games where they have just menu choices after menu choice of places you can pop in to customize this or download that or add like some other thing that's going to use in-game currency and it just becomes a mess. I don't, you almost need like a whole manual just to even understand the menu systems in half these games. I think that's another reason why I don't tend to play them because you just look at that menu screen and it's just covered in buttons and you're like, this it's just going to be more work for me to learn how to even get through this game, and I'm never going to remember it. I'm going to put it away, come back, and then I'm going to have to figure it all out again, and it's just not worth my time. I'd rather play something that's simple to get in, but then the complexity is in the actual game that keeps me interested, and I want to play rather than I got to just figure out how to get to the next level or wait to download the next level or whatever this thing happens to do. It's It just takes away from the fun and the urgency of getting to continue to play and play and play.
1: Exactly. And, you know, while I'm playing it, it reminded me of Dust, and Elysian Tale. But that game, you know, it's more simplified. It doesn't have 3D graphics. It's all 2D. It's just a port from, like, 2011 or something. The storyline's similar. You have that little fairy who comes in and helps you. But the game itself has all these on-screen buttons that lets you pull off all kinds of crazy moves and special attacks, and this game would benefit from that style. I understand that some people just don't like on-screen controls, but when they're well-made, where you don't have to look down, you kind of get in the flow of tapping and working with it, just like in Dust, then that's all you really need. So it comes down to proper design, to then go the opposite direction and say no on-screen controls, and then because of that, it's this super simple game, you get drag you lost.
0: Well, yeah, even if they didn't want to put on-screen buttons, they, well, they love buttons, so I don't understand why <laughs> they would skip buttons, but even if they didn't want to do the on-screen buttons, they could go with touch gestures, swipe gestures, something that allows for more complex gameplay than just a simple tap of the screen. There's other ways of not cluttering up the screen with buttons or having these virtual, even like the outlines of buttons that some people hate you can still find other ways you have a device that has all these various touch gestures built into it why not take advantage of that to add some complexity to this game and make it more rich of an experience than what you're getting and i don't know i i don't know i haven't seen the reviews of this i've seen how other people like it it's just not my type of thing and so i was thoroughly disappointed with it but I guess there's an audience out there for it. I have no idea if this is, like, an IP that they brought over from from Nintendo to bring it over to mobile, or if this is something new. I, I'm just not familiar with it at all. But I I don't know. I Even the Nintendo name is probably going to sell, or it's free to download, but get downloads uh, of the game no matter what.
1: Yep, and, I mean, that... If you remember when we talked about that Disney game where it was super remedial tapping, and there was another one that I can't remember. But, uh. Yeah, I don't seems... remember what the other one was. I
0: remember the Disney one.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that just bad. the trend of you just sit back, wait. There was a Pokemon battle game like that where you went around yep. the world. Yeah. This just seems to be the trend with mobile games, and if the big publishers and game makers are doing it, the small ones are eventually going to follow suit and that's going to be the majority of the app store. So I don't even think Dragalia lost is worth the download to make make (laughs) Nintendo think this was a good idea.
0: Well, the problem is once you get into that mentality, this is what people used to make fun of mobile games for. They're like, Oh, they're so stupid and simple. We're, we are we deserve better experiences. These are very powerful devices you have. They are capable of doing amazing games. And we've seen amazing games, original games, not these formulaic stuff that is just so simplified and stupid that people just don't really want to play a game. They want something mostly do to occupy their attention while they're doing something else. And it's not like they're sitting down to actually play and enjoy the game. This is just something that their fingers could literally probably play it while watching TV and not even focus on the screen.
1: Yep. So that's Dragalia Lost. It is free. It's universal. And another game that's super simple, but maybe it's a little bit original. I don't know. It's called Bacon the Game. And essentially your object is to flip a piece of bacon onto all kinds of stuff so at the beginning <laughs> you just flip a piece of bacon onto a burger every level has a different thing to flip a piece of bacon onto and if you're familiar with this developers games they've made pancake where you flipped a pancake numerous times on a spatula they also had a noodle game where you use these weird controls to make the longest noodle strand that you can and this is just the style that they make and with bacon the game what really sets it apart is all the different crazy level setups where you're going to flip a bacon into a martini or then on top of the Mona Lisa or then onto some Chinese characters. There's all kinds of crazy things and all of them have different landing points for that bacon. So it changes your kind of flip trajectory and strategy.
0: Okay, now I I know I just said that stupid games that you're just tapping I hate. But I love everything that Philip Stollenmeyer puts out. Like, these are so dumb that they're so much fun. Especially this, uh, he also did the burger game. And that was the one where you're trying to stack as many burgers on a uh, bun as possible. And there, were, So you were flipping burgers and that you would kind of, hopefully they wouldn't slide off the stack and you'd be able to stack as many as you could. This one takes both the pancake game and the burger game and kind of joins them together into this new one and it's so hilarious the stuff you're flipping bacon onto you're even flipping it onto kevin bacon (laughs) and francis bacon as well so and there's even elements where your face is on the screen so like your face goes into the mona lisa while you're doing it because it uses the camera but it is there's so much creativity in being dumb and i think Philip Stallmeier takes it to a whole new level. Same with Colin Lane, who we've talked about in the past with his wrestling games. Like these are just dumb, fun games where they're not meant to be taken seriously. They're not. They're they're purposely built this way. It's not like you tried to create this rich experience and it was, uh, it was unfortunately boring. Like these are purposely set up to be dumb, but they're entertaining because they are so dumb. And I love this game. I absolutely love the bacon game. My daughter has been playing it too. She absolutely loves it. It is so... Because you never know what that next level is going to bring. You want to land it and have it have the bacon not like fall onto the ground and just stick the landing so that you can go on and see whatever the next crazy thing you're going to be flipping bacon onto. Yeah,
1: and it's just that quick action, one-touch game. And conveniently enough... When you complete a level, there's a single arrow button and you go to the next level. There isn't this array of buttons. There isn't downloads or menu items or anything. You just go on to the next level. And the best part of this game is you don't know what each level is going to entail. So you want to get right on to that level. Like it even includes press to access the camera. And then that little notification box comes up and you <laughs> have to put bacon onto that. Or then it's like flip bacon onto an honest review and it says like stupid game, this is the worst game ever, and then you're the one who wrote it. So it's just funny little things that they weave in and include.
0: Yeah, I, it's just so entertaining to go through, just beyond just the... And there is some strategy, because you the bacon, when it first comes out, is wiggling. So then you have to decide when you want to tap the screen for the bacon to fall, and it will have a tr- different trajectory based on the angle it was at when you hit it. So then it's going to land on your pan. Now you got to decide, am I going to flip that pan quickly? Am I going to let it slide on the pan and kind of get it lined up in a certain spot and then do it? it's it's just all kinds of crazy fun stuff to try to figure out in this really simplistic game
1: yeah you actually get to learn about physics and stuff of being able to catch that bacon with your frying pan and then get the best trajectory to be able to land especially as you go on the levels have smaller and more curved things to land on so you have less surface area and you have to be really precise with catching the bacon with your pan letting it slide down the pan and flipping it just right and Like you said at the top, it combines the pancake game where you have a pancake and you try to flip that same pancake as many times as you can, as well as the burger game where you're flipping the burger and trying to make a stack of as many burgers as you can. So it smashes them both together and then it has this whole new form of creativity. It's kind of like mixes their other game, Vertical, with those crazy characters you can unlock and flip around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know how many levels there are. I think I'm up to level 50, and I just keep on playing and playing and playing. And some of them are super tough to land. Others, are you'll finish them in like one second. Your first flip, you'll, you'll get it up there. But others are, are tough to get the landing.
1: Yep, and so that's baking the game. It's free. It's universal. And then there's Antventor. So it's a twist on Inventor, and you get to play as this little ant, and at first glance, the game is kind of reminiscent of the art style of Botanicula or Machinarium, but it's not from the same development studio. But it has that kind of idea. And this little ant, you know, you start in his little ant hole, and he's relatively smart. He's created this little functioning battery to help power the energy input he would need, so he can kind of just sit around and still give his energy input to the entire anthill. And then a piece breaks in that energy system and that starts off you needing to help him out. So you get to pick up items in the area and then drag them back in in different areas and different positions and try to combine them together to kind of create your own inventions to help him first fix his items, So then he can actually get out of the anthill and go on his own little adventure.
0: Yeah. So I saw this, and first thing that caught my eye was that art style. It looks beautiful. And the other thing is, if, if you've ever listened to this podcast, you know I love point-and-click adventures. So I was super excited to try this one out. Unfortunately, I found it pretty darn frustrating. And it's not necessarily because the puzzles were difficult or tough to figure out. It's this there's no text in there whatsoever so you're trying to figure out what some of these objects you picked up even are to then try to figure out how to use them some of them are really tiny some of the spots we have to click on the screen I thought were a little too small and so there were times when I tried to drag and use something and if I wasn't over the exact right spot it would look like you couldn't, I couldn't use it there. And so there were, there were a few times in the game where I dragged something out and tried to use it. And like, ah, oh, I would have thought I could use this thing on that. That probably would have been the solution and it didn't work. And so then I tried 50 other things and went to other screens. I came back. I'm like, no, this has got to be it. And I drag. And then it, maybe was about a quarter of an inch higher than I would have expected to put it onto the spot that I wanted. Then it glowed yellow and I knew, oh, okay, this is the right thing. And then it, I released and it worked. So it seemed like the the UI was off a little bit. Could be, you can hold the screen, it shows you like the hot points, but you didn't always have to line up the object exactly with the hot point. Sometimes you had to go higher or lower than the actual hot point for the object to interact with that thing. And so I just found it kind of frustrating because it wasn't always clear what you had to do. But it, like, I like that in a puzzly game, but not when it's because I can't see what this thing is or it's just not accepting what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, I felt the same exact thing. I'm glad it wasn't just me. The tap to move itself is kind of off where you go tap to stand in front of a specific point and he walks behind it. It's like, no, I didn't want that. And then accessing the inventory and dragging items out of it isn't perfect. It's a little tedious in terms of all the taps that are required. And then, like you, trying to get them into the right spot. You know, you can tap and hold to see all the hot points and so you grab an item and you drag it to the hot point that you need and that's not exactly where it needs to be. It's like a few millimeters or an inch high that it actually needs to be, so you kind of have to get it just right and then see that gold outline, and if you don't, like, say you think you have an item in the right spot, it doesn't activate anything, you're like, oh, I must be wrong, so you go try something else, rather than, oh, I should have moved it over a little bit in some direction to actually activate in the proper spot.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, that's, you can't have that in a point-and-click adventure. I mean, I don't know if this is like a comes over because it was already released on Steam I think prior to coming to iOS so I don't know if this was like a porting issue and it just didn't line up properly but it it just ends up becoming such a frustrating experience especially where I play so many of these games that when something little like this comes out it ends up really becoming an issue and it's not even like there was that. What was the game that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that was all like there was no text for the items up in your like action? Like all of them, they use those little symbols after you made it through the initial word tree, and it works really well. And then you see kind of a similar setup here, but because you can't even tell what these things are, you end up wasting so much time because you're like, I don't even know what that is, how do I use it? And it Just, I don't know, I wish it was less frustrating, and I don't know the best way for them to to fix it. I guess, first of all, just fix those touch points so they're more accurate. And otherwise, maybe make the items in the the inventory a little bit larger so you can see, or put like a little text description if you tap and hold on it to tell you what it is. And then maybe you'll know how to use that item. But uh, it needs a little bit of fixing. I I would say
1: yeah and without it it's definitely a letdown just because at the outset you have this kind of idea in your head of what the game can be and then you play it and you can't help but be disappointed
0: yeah I mean fortunately it's fairly inexpensive it's only a dollar ninety nine but uh then again it's going to be a longer experience just because of those frustrations than actually be able to get through the game and enjoy it
1: yeah especially because the ant has his own little personality he'll have like frustrated sighs when you make mistakes and just little excited reactions if you put something in the right spot so the ant has his own little personality without saying anything it's just the actual structure of the game i don't know if it's the touch port or what but it's just not working right now yep and so that's AntVenter, it's $1.99, and it's universal. And then before we end this week, this is more just an interesting observation of the App Store. Four games this week came out at very premium price points with very established name brands. So Monster Hunter Stories, Harvest Moon, Light of Hope, Layden Curious Villages... All came out. Monster Hunter's $20, Harvest Moon is $15, and Layden is $10. With Harvest Moon and Layden, they're both original ports over. Like Layden, it's the port of the 2008 3DS game or some, you know, mobile console game. And then Harvest Moon, it's that building simulation style from other platforms making its way to iOS. Monster Hunter, though, is actually based on the franchise, but instead of the familiar style it's more of an rpg so the usual game you know you kind of have this whole battling mechanism you explore and then you try to capture the monsters well this game it's like you have your whole stable of monsters and now it's more of that rpg adventure where you have a little team and then you proceed through that way so it's a a different take on it rather than just a direct port but again it's twenty dollars so it's really interesting. You know, we have this Dragalia Lost from Nintendo, big brand, free-to-play, all kinds of free-to-play stuff. And then we have these three games, also big, huge brands, but also premium price points.
0: Yeah, I thought the Layton one was particularly interesting because that's a title I'm actually interested in playing. I didn't play the original. The last Layton game that came out, they tried the whole free-to-try-it, and then you bought in-app packs to basically unlock the rest of the content i believe the very first latent game that they released on ios was a paid app i'm pretty sure but this last one that they did they tried the the model where it was free and then you bought additional content so i'm wondering if they just didn't see the sales they had hoped on the last one and so this one they figured they'd go back and try the pay and you just get it all up front model it's it's interesting that they they've kind of jumped back and forth and back and forth and i I don't necessarily know why like i'm guessing they're just trying to see what sticks and the app store seems to be all over the place i mean right now there is that trend towards free to play but as we see like these bigger known entities they're trying out these high higher prices to right out the gate to see if they can just get the money for the app rather than relying on the whales and the people that are willing to spend on in-app purchases.
1: Yeah, and it's just a really interesting juxtaposition happening live on the App Store and it's just kind of worth noting and observing. Also, NBA 2K19 came out this week. It's $7.99. It's for the upcoming NBA season and the 2K games have done a really good job on mobile. They're the really best sports game available and It's simply because EA has decided to go free-to-play with their FIFA game and, of course, Madden. And so Madden came out for the NFL season, you know, like a month ago. And it's even more free-to-play than ever before (laughs) where you can't even play with your own teams. It's all that, you know, you get a pack of cards and you have a random collection of players. So it's more like fantasy, but all your players start out at absolute garbage at, like, 60 overall rating. And you have to get new cards, and that's going to entice purchases. NBA 2K, you get to play the full NBA 2018-19 season with your favorite team, authentic rosters, authentic stadiums, and they've even updated with a more touch-based control scheme, so it's not as reliant on virtual controls. And that's, it's interesting to see both franchises, Madden and NBA 2K, go in different directions on mobile. And the better game is $8. The worst game is free-to-play, but I'm sure Madden is probably making more than NBA 2K
0: Right, I'd love to see how much these games are making comparatively to each other to see if one of these approaches is actually better than the other from monetary, I mean forget gameplay they're going to do whatever makes them money so I'm curious to see is that free to play model really raking in more money than producing a better game that's truer to the franchises I don't know I, that's we're never going to see that info
1: yeah but that's just uh, kind of some asides of games on the app store and I think that's it for everything on episode 84 yeah that's all I got to everyone listening we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next
0: time talk to you later